2: Hello and welcome to MindShifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, April 12th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. If you go to that website and you click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. The book is titled why is this happening to me again and that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work that tool is called the reality management worksheet sometimes called the reality management wake-up sheet and it's a tool i've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience i have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also go to your... Um, download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness... And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the reality management worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people can do that soon and often primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they apply these tools in their lives. Secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, please do so. Give us a call at 563-999-3581. And when you call that number and press 1 on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. And that will alert me that you want to talk. I'll turn on your microphone and announce you by your area code. And we appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service. So please let us know. How can we be a service to you? What would be of the most use for you in spending the next, at least the next hour? We're going to have two hours today, but we're only uh, in controlling or responsible for the one of them. But we had a support group last night, and in the support group last night, with a little bit of back and forth and discussion about what people wanted to listen to or watch, we ended up listening to one of the darshans for one of the more advanced lessons, lesson 32 from the, it's lesson 8 in the Way of Knowing, from the Way of Mastery book, the first book is titled The Way of the Heart, the second book is titled The Way of Transformation, and the third book is titled The Way of Knowing. And the Darshans were a series of um web based video experiences that some of us participated in. From I think it was um twenty eleven to twenty fourteen. It was three years of working through the three books and the darshans are, uh, the word darshan means, um, you know, a teaching or a talk or a teaching session. There's nothing really uh, fancy about it. It's just from the East Indian tradition. And um, this particular series of talks was given by Jayam, who is the person who channeled um, The Way of Mastery, so um, one of the, the primary focuses of that talk is that a theme that runs through that entire book, The Way of Mastery, is the theme of love, and the theme of love as the flow of creative energy, the flow of life, all that is. Love that allows all things, accepts all things, embraces all things, trusts all things, and thereby transcends all things. So we listened to an hour of that darshan and then had some discussion. And as often happens when these groups come together, these people who have their active life with their own ups and downs and events that they prefer and don't prefer. Um, We got back into the question of how can you say all events are neutral and what does that mean in in a real sense? And the answer to that is different for everybody. Essentially what's being said is um and and this was this actually came out in the darshan that jm said sometimes people listen to the the messages from the course in miracles or the way of mastery and when the the teaching says you're living in a dream and the world that you are imagining doesn't exist the way you imagine it sometimes people come away with the the uh the thought that the teaching is saying nothing is real and nothing's actually happening and jm addressed this very directly in his talk last night and said you know that's not what this message is about this message is about how there is a real series of life events and flow. Things do happen. There are people in the world. You are here. You're in a body. You interact with others, etc. But the message that says this is but a dream has to do with how the impact that you take from these interactions with other people and places and things is determined by your interpretation of this and how you choose to focus on certain energies and respond to them and so you know all events are neutral essentially means it's just the flow of life energy and it only has the meaning for you that you create for it if you say it's horrible then you experience it as horrible if you say well this is intense then you experience it as intense if you say well that's just the way it is, then you just experience it like any other event. And, and if, you, if you look at it and you say, I wonder how this holds a lesson, I need to learn to move to the next level. Or I wonder how this is going to turn out to be better than I could have imagined, even though it's nothing like what I had planned for the day, or for my life, or for this job, or for this relationship. And that remains one of the more difficult lessons for those of us who have been raised in the Western mindset to to sort out, to make sense of, because in the Western world we are taught there's good versus evil, there's right versus wrong, there's up and down, and and you have to be on the right side of things, and you need to judge things, and you need to be able to convince people that your judgment of things is better than their judgment of things, and that it just keeps going around and around and around. And this spiritual teaching says there really isn't any need for any of that. It's far more beneficial to be awake and aware in the moment and just observe directly what's going on. And rather than judging or labeling something as good or bad, right or wrong, In the moment when you're awake and aware and judging and experiencing something directly without all the judgment, you have a far broader range of options for responding. And there's a far greater likelihood that you will be able to tip the scales towards Honoring the truth of what is, and or being more respectful or more loving. And some would say, and these spiritual teachings certainly say that, that's our purpose for being here. That's a really good focus of our attention and our energies, to create an experience of life that... resonates with more joy and appreciation and respect and compassion and extend all of those kinds of energies. First we have to feel them within ourselves and then extend them to others. And the more we do that, the more people that have actually tried that and spent time doing it, the more we get uh, reports from them that they prefer the outcome. When that's what they choose to do with their mind energy and it isn't easy to do especially when you've been conditioned and trained to believe that when the world doesn't go the way you think it should you should feel sad you should feel angry you should sue somebody you should get violent etc and when we've been trained into a certain thought pattern and practice it for decades it is difficult to change that momentum it is difficult to choose again or choose for love as these teachings would ask us to do so the calling number is 563-999-3581 if you choose to call that number and press 1 we can have a conversation what would serve you best for spending this next hour i have the Christian Sondheim book and some essays I can read. I can also entertain a question or comment or work through a worksheet with someone. And um, we prefer doing that because we know the tremendous benefit that comes when we, as a community, focus on our individual stuck points or trapped emotions or, you know, trauma energies or goals that aren't getting met and we understand that in response to that if I keep focusing mind energy on a goal that isn't getting met I'm going to generate a significant amount of upset, suffering, trauma, etc. And if I choose for love, if I choose to cancel the goal and ask to be shown how to respond differently or to even view a situation differently, I can dramatically change my experience of life even when nothing around me has changed, nothing outside of me has changed. And as we like to say, that is the best way to demonstrate to ourselves the power of these tools. It's also the best way that I know to demonstrate to myself the error of what I've been trained into by my culture. My culture that makes me want to believe this situation is upsetting me, that person is making me angry, etc. And every time I do a worksheet and nothing on the outside changes and yet my internal emotional state changes and or I gain an insight, there's the in-life demonstration that this was always an inside job every emotion i've experienced i've created inside me or has been created inside me if i say i created it some people say well you're you're saying i chose this well no you haven't chosen it especially when you don't know what the process is and yet the process of creating it can still be located inside you It only becomes a choice when you become educated to the fact that it is your choice of the focus of your conscious awareness in each present moment that determines your experience of life in each moment. If you're not aware of that, then there's no choice involved. It's still happening, but you're not choosing it until after you become aware of it and you've found a way or life has found a way to demonstrate to you that this really is the truth and what you've been taught by your culture or your family of origin is not the truth of how things work. No one outside of you has ever made you angry, has ever made you feel sad or scared or upset or guilty or shame. That's always been an inside job. And the more you come to see and feel that for yourself and learn about what the process is and learn some tools like the Reality Management Worksheet or the Three Early Memories of Conflict or the Mind Shifter Targeted Journaling Tool or the Responsibility Communication Tool. The more you learn about these tools, the more you have direct experiences of how you can change your emotion to be highly preferable from what it was minutes ago. Even though nothing and no one outside of you has changed, the more you live into the realization of your own ability to create your experience of life. And that's what we're here to support people in doing. Soon and often. 563-999-3581. That's the number if you call it. Press one on your phone and we can have a conversation and we'll explore, discuss, hopefully through that process generate some perspectives that you haven't been able to reach on your own. And one of the things I like to tell people is, especially in the therapy process, the more I can show them different ways to look at their current situation. The better equipped they're going to be to make the decisions that only they can make in their life. You are going to make all the decisions that really dramatically affect anything that truly has value in your life. And yet, if you're not aware of how that process works, and or if no one's ever encouraged you to look at things through a different lens, reframe things or expand your view and perspective, then you're stuck. You're stuck letting your conscious logical mind churn out what it's been conditioned to do. So the essay I'd like to read today or the discussion is full of other essays and it's a discussion about how intent versus intellect in the context of love and being. And this essay says that we come to this place, we come into the physical from the non-physical to wield loving intent. Loving intent is not itself intellectual. Love and fear can operate through an intellectual context. But intent itself is deeper than the objects it works with. And this includes both physical objects, things, and intellectual objects, ideas, and beliefs. Our deepest being-level motivation is what is important. And then it says, we come to earth to execute and embody a quality of being, We come here to be love, to extend love, to stay focused on love despite being challenged for other things. The essay goes on and says, that can mean any number of ideas or actions. Love includes a large number of qualities, including compassion, freedom, openness. I'm substituting the word openness for vulnerability, responsibility, courage, humility, discernment, tenacity, gentleness, strength, honesty, willingness, and caring. And then it says, love is always about the other. And my understanding of why that would make sense is because love as an energy of creation expressing in form is what makes up everything you see, including your physical body and the physical bodies around you. So I can't do something loving or caring for somebody else This reminds me of a line from the Mirror Theory book where it says, no loving gift is ever truly given unless the giver is honored in that process. So if you are giving and giving and giving and the people around you are taking and taking and taking and you begin to resent that there's no give and take, But you keep sacrificing yourself for these other people who don't show compassion to you or or recognition of all the work you're doing or gratitude. That's not a loving gift. That's an abusive pattern. This this loving is always a flow. Giving and receiving are all in the same energy. So it says, love is always about the other. My take on that would be it's because some of these great Eastern tradition teachings say, you know, when the the student comes to the the teacher and says, teacher, what about all this anger I have for the other? And the teacher says, there is no other. We're all connected. Everything you do to the least of your brethren, you do to me. This is from the, the Christian Gospels. This discussion goes on and says, human intellectual learning is generally limited to the objects and the rule set of the physical universe in which the human character resides. Since that physical system is not fundamental and is a subset of something larger in consciousness space, no object or set of objects in that physical realm Can fully speak to the big picture what's the big picture the true nature of who you are how you're connected to your source and everyone and everything that's that's come into being from the energy of your source it goes on and says it is not possible for the thinking human intellect which relies on local system assumptions What are local system assumptions? Things like distance and linear time, height and weight. So it's not possible for the thinking human intellect that relies on those things to fully intellectually conceive of the big picture. This goes back to what we're talking about. If you listen to any of the really great scientists... There's a lot more going on here than what our senses can register. He goes on then and says, however, the mind of the individual can know the big picture personally when it is not operating within the limits, the forms and constraints of the physical, because the individual's consciousness is not separate from the source and the source contains all knowledge the learning that the spirit comes to earth to do is not intellectual it is experiential it is a learning of the being capital B being learning of your true nature by being your true nature Learning to be your true nature and extend the awareness of that and the energies associated with that, even in situations that you do not prefer, even in situations that your mind and your culture and your family conditioning have trained you to believe are bad or wrong or shouldn't be happening. Talking about this the other day Susan Bingham said that she has this friend who is has a very high intellect and she thinks it's a great gift and that something about our presentation landed with Susan Bingham as though we were saying the intellect is bad or wrong and I would like to correct that perception once again that what's being said here is not that the intellect is bad the intellect is a very powerful tool And yet it has limits. It's like, you know, um, a, a, a radial arm saw for a carpenter is a very powerful tool. But you're not going to build a house if the only tool you have is a radial arm saw. Just like you're not going to build a house if the only tool you have is a hammer. But the hammer is a very useful tool. Having a level is a very useful tool, but you need more than just the level to build the house. What's happening in these teachings is that we're not... These teachings are not saying the intellect is bad, is wrong, is the devil... They're not saying that. What they're saying is when you're exploring things, when you're doing learning here in the physical body... The intellectual learning is generally limited to the physical universe and the rule set of that physical universe. And in short, there's just a lot more going on here. At many levels, energetically, emotionally, spiritually, synchronistically as Jung would call it quantum physics entanglement as they would call it spooky action at a distance as Einstein called it there's a lot more going on here than what can be registered by the senses and therefore studied at the physical level it's not saying everything in the physical is useless or bad or wrong that's not the message The message is simply, as we explore the physical, as we learn to drive our cars carefully, as we learn to use a car to deliver food to the needy, as we learn to use anything in the physical realm to extend compassion and love and gratitude, we also want to understand that there's a lot more going on here. And if we never learn to meditate and pray or expand our consciousness beyond what the five senses can show us or reveal to us, we are going to stay in that very limited range of experience. The next discussion is titled, Higher Spiritual Law, Natural Law, and Local Natural Law. And the discussion says, in the unfathomably vast wisdom and unconditional love of capital S Source, capital C creation unfolds in accordance with divine laws, or what we may call natural laws. Just a few categories of the natural laws, or at least the perceivable expressions of them, which are not separate but are interrelated, are briefly mentioned here. So a few of the categories of the natural laws are the laws of the physical universe, the modifiability of the physical universe, the law of attraction, synchronicity, karma, etc. And now each of these is given a bit of a paragraph to discuss. In the unfathomably vast and unconditional love of the source of creation, and as it unfolds in accordance with divine laws, the divine laws are what we may call natural laws, some of the categories of those natural laws are number one the physical universe and here's what they say about that the laws of the natural physical world including physics biology quantum mechanics etc these are one layer of natural law that governs how physical objects consistently behave in our local physical universe the physical reality experience is transpiring because of processes that are occurring in higher dimensions. And these are also, in turn, governed by natural laws of their own. The next category is the modifiability of the physical universe. And that paragraph reads, The physical universe responds to the intentions, thoughts, and beliefs of the individual and the collective. Intent has the power to, quote, nudge, close quotes, nudge the probabilities of how physical reality unfolds. These processes do not conflict with the laws of the physical universe, but indeed they are a part of them. The next heading is the Law of Attraction. And this is what it says about that. The Law of Attraction is the name we use for the phenomenon that energetically and thus eventually also physically we tend to experience what we resonate with, what we are focused on, or what we are intending. So again, this is just a set of words to point at what we experience and how we tend to experience more of what we resonate with more of what we have focused our energy on and more of what we are intending at deeper and deeper levels. It goes on and reads, the vibrational attraction occurs at the being level of the individual. And here in parentheses it says, true intention. In other lessons, and other discussions it's talked about how as a being, as a soul, as a consciousness, you are here with the intention of getting stronger and better at extending love in more and more complex and difficult situations. And that's that true intention. So the vibrational attraction occurs at that level, not in the surface thoughts or the ego stories. In our local physical experience, the law of attraction is helpful in part because it allows us to, quote, get what we fear, close quotes. And this supports one of the universe's goals for allowing individuals to face and overcome their fears. Meanwhile, distinction in higher systems is often not geographical, but vibrational. Similar beings or similar energies tend to group together. Now, what would be the value? Why would life be set up in a way that supports us in facing what we fear? So we can get stronger. At One of the lines from the Way of Mastery that I really liked is, it allows you to bring new presence to energies that once defeated you when you keep coming in contact with problems or bad relationships or physical aches and pains. The goal is to be able to strengthen your capacity to be loving in more and more varied and difficult situations. One way to say it is, here's an opportunity when this kind of problem or pattern comes up again that you don't like, here's an opportunity for you to bring new presence To energies that once defeated you the next heading of energy and natural laws subheading is synchronicity and the paragraph here says synchronicity represents the natural flow of how events transpire when the spirit is followed or permitted to flow freely and when greater intelligence can function naturally Synchronicity happens naturally when we are, quote, in the flow, close quotes. Which tends to happen when we follow where love guides us, when we follow our excitement, and when we practice non-resistance or the path of least resistance or going with the flow. Right? The path of least resistance to the reality inside Or apparently outside of us the universe is always willing to work with us so synchronicity is just another word to try and describe what happens when we notice the flow of life events and when we don't resist them and when we allow them to flow freely that's when a greater intelligence can function naturally And that greater intelligence is inside of us and around us and connects all things. It says synchronicity happens naturally when we're in the flow. And this tends to happen when we follow where love guides us, when we follow our excitement or our passion, and when we practice going with the flow of life, whether that's the flow inside of us or outside of us, apparently outside of us. And then it ends with saying, the universe is always willing to work with us. The next subcategory of these natural laws is karma. And here's what it says about karma. We are fully responsible for every intent, thought, word, and action. All choices yield a result for the individual. This energetic result remains with the individual even past their physical death. Love-based and fear-based choices yield a result that may lead to various heavenly or hellish experiences of form whether on earth or in other reality realms or in other incarnations. This energetic accountability is not a system of punishment, but it is rather energetic cause and effect and vibrational consistency for the sake of the long-term being-level growth of that individual. This system is built on wisdom and unconditional love. This is true even as a given ego or a given quote, separate self, close quotes, may suffer or reject a particular experience or circumstance. But just because I suffer and I reject and fight against a circumstance doesn't mean it's a punishment for me or bad to me. You know, my, my the thing that flashed into my mind is that a loving parent that needs to take the child to the dentist because they've got a cavity, right, or their tooth hurts, and they need some treatment, and the child doesn't want to go. That doesn't mean that what the parent is doing is punishing the child. We are like infants and toddlers, even those of us who are you know, uh, treated by others as though they are highly spiritual and advanced. Anybody who's still in a body is just at the beginning learning level. This says, in other words, we can't escape being what we actually are. And through energetic logic, what we are guides us into future experiences. From the higher spiritual vantage point, we ourselves often choose to re-engage the, quote, darkness, close quotes, of what we've actually been so as to evolve past it and expand in due measure. Karma is not punishment. One of the things that Dr. Michael Rice would say a lot more often in the past was, if you want to know what your 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 unconscious has been wanting what your your creative center has been wanting just look at what you've got in your life right now and you know then he goes on to have a conversation about how a lot of people come to him and say that's wrong that's I didn't ask for this I didn't want to be sick I didn't want to be in poverty I don't want to be and Michael would say okay but here's the point is that what you want at a conscious logical level is not necessarily your strongest creative energy it's not your emotionally based chooser or wanting it's your heart space it's your unconscious it's your deeply emotional energy that you pour into something that is a far more creative force in your life than your conscious logical mind that takes a look at your car and says it's run down and sees a fancy sports car or or SUV drive by and says, oh, gee, I wish I had one of those. That thought, gee, I wish I had one of those, at that conscious logical level has nowhere near the creative impact on your life as the churning, unconscious, deeply emotional spin, whether it's cross-generational or it comes from earlier childhood dynamics, but it runs essentially nonstop in the background of what neuroscience today will tell us is 95 minimum of 95% of our thoughts are outside our conscious awareness. So karma is not life is going to get you. It's just the way things work. And if we're here to learn to stay consciously connected to our true nature in all these various situations and through all these different distractions, whether it's physical aches and pains or low energy in the physical body or betrayal in a relationship or somebody stealing from us, if we're here to learn to be able to stay consciously connected to our true nature as love through all those situations and extend that loving energy to everyone and everything around us, then when we choose against that, when we choose for fear and we choose for anger and we choose for guilt and shame, the system is there to give us the feedback to let us know we're not doing what we really want to be doing, what our higher self wants to do. So karma as part of a feedback system. So synchronicity as awareness of the natural flow without resistance. So the law of attraction as vibrational flow at a being level not necessarily at that conscious, logical level. And the modifiability of the physical universe, how what we think and believe and pour our mind energy into as individuals and as a collective has the power to nudge the probabilities of how the physical reality unfolds. and then the laws of the physical universe are in layers and one of those layers is physics biology quantum physics etc but what we experience as physical reality is transpiring because of processes that are occurring at higher dimensions just to use a set of words to try and point at this experience it's not just because somebody in a physical body with a human mind said i want this to happen in other words there is a lot more going on here than we are able to know with our five senses and the last thing i'll share today is The spiritual path while being human and this discussion says spirituality is not about believing something or doing something but it is about evolving one's consciousness and the nature of one's being in the physical realm my awareness of being in the physical realm towards love towards my true nature towards my source the doing comes after the being. Intention precedes action. This is like Dr. Rice saying, uh, we have to have a goal for something or we don't take any action whatsoever. So that's why there's this talk in Michael Rice's work about a filter in the mind over intention. And when it's set to Rakma it means only intentions keyed to love can be used as the building blocks for our goals. The doing, resting in the rooted center of my being before taking an action, determines the action. This discussion goes on and says, spirituality is about one's relationship to the present moment. This is why I keep coming back to Guy Finley's statement. There is nothing more practical than true spirituality. Spirituality is about one's relationship to the present moment. As that relationship becomes more genuine and less hampered by fear, one's experience of joy increases and one is able to be of greater service to others spirituality is about finding out exactly what is what's the truth of life not from the distortions of my perception not through the filters of my fear and hurt and past traumas but what is the actuality of life spirituality is not primarily a pursuit of any certain form of any certain religion of any kind of breathing technique or meditation certainly not any belief system. Although we might benefit from that as we begin to move from the chaos and the anger and the reflex of reactivity toward being more consciously aware of our true nature in each moment. This discussion goes on and says, true accomplishment is not a matter of achieving some physical end but of the expansion and actualization of love, this energy of creation, the stuff you're made of. It goes on. A spiritual person interacts more successfully with form. That is, that an evolved individual is generally better able to wield a loving intent within various contexts of form, And is better able to utilize form for the expression of their deeper nature. And they are better able to utilize form for the betterment of others. An evolved individual's presence tends to be, quote, net additive, close quotes. The state of the world is our responsibility, both collectively and individually, Meditation is a process by which the individual may move toward meeting the present moment as it actually exists, to see past the associations with form and the training and the, the conditioning of the family and the culture. Meditation is a process by which the individual may slow down their thought momentum sufficiently so as to be able to experientially know their deeper nature. In parentheses it says, to allow their deeper nature to rise back up to them on its own. Meditation is not truly an action or a physical activity, but a utilization of intent to meet the present moment for exactly what it is. Human society is currently largely ignorant of our real larger context. But the individual is never separate from our true source of knowing. You are profoundly, deeply loved. You are loved and you are love. You love to receive love. You love to give love. You are a creative, powerful, free being who is committed to all that this physical experience entails, and you do it all for joy and freedom and love. That must be your higher self, because most people listening to this will say, that hasn't been my experience of this life. It goes on and says, you can never lose the love that Source has for you. You are loved and celebrated, not just by the Source of your creation but by the countless other beings who are your families and friends. Please remember that while you are here in the wilderness. This makes me think of the the Guy Finley quote where he says, Your creator did not put you in a world where you have to search for years or decades, climbing the Himalayas, searching caves, Move from guru to guru until one day you finally find somebody who's willing to give you the truth, the answers that you need. He says, your creator put you in a world where your instant, constant connection to the source that can guide you will never abandon you if you just ask to be shown. That's the same as this work, as this series of quotes from the book, A Walk in the Physical. That's why there is value at at one of the many levels of value of the Reality Management Worksheet. That's why there's value in it. Because when I cancel everything, my conscious logical mind, my training from my family, my emotional trauma energy my cultural conditioning, I cancel everything that it's presenting me to tell me how I'm right and the world is wrong or that person needs to be attacked or run away from. When I cancel all of that and ask to be shown something else, that source that Guy Finley was talking about, that constant connection to a source that can guide me, is right there. So, got about five minutes left Five six three nine 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 is this sitting with you i've gone back to reading some of my favorite passages from this book because i have gotten the feedback from several people that they are benefiting from that and at the same time we do that we always want to remember to invite comments questions answers testimonials request for support 5639993581 i am enjoying at many levels the overlap and and the, the 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 things that got stirred up when we were in our support group last night listening to an entire hour of a darshan, the first darshan for the eighth lesson in the way of knowing. It really stirred up a lot of memories and associations and connections to the Abraham work, to the Byron Katie work, to the Michael Singer work, to the Guy Finley work, to the Michael Rice work. It is so... It's like a tapestry woven together, all of these different teachings, because the the thread of the common source material clearly runs through all of those teachers and teachings that I just mentioned. And yet, what there is for each of us to experience individually in any given moment transcends all of that. And you will never wrap your conscious, logical mind around that. These are just words pointing at an experience that you might usher yourself into. How do you do that? You ask to be shown. How do you do that? You use the guidance system you're given. You weren't intended to be suffering long-term. You were intended to be able to feel the pain, the fear, the sadness, the guilt, and turn that into a directional indicator. use it as a an alarm system telling you that your choice of focus or your interpretation or your perception is off the mark in that way all of my pain and suffering becomes as Ramdas would call it grist for the mill it becomes the process an, an integral part of the process through which I learn and grow. And none of us really like that when we're still here in the physical. And yet that is the way the system works. And there's another way to experience life that many of the great teachers talk about that doesn't involve all of that resistance to the flow of life and doesn't involve all of that suffering that we create and that's where we we might get we might live along into those kinds of answers if we keep questioning and asking to be shown so as always i deeply appreciate everyone who's sharing the time with us Whether you're listening live or in the archives, please remember that tomorrow will be another support group. You're more than welcome to join us or pass the information along with somebody that might benefit. All the info to join us is available at MindShiftersAcademy.org. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice.
1: Thank you, Dr. Tim. Appreciate it.
2: You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show.
1: Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio, and today is Wednesday, April the 12th, 2023, and the call number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue. And I am actually going to play an interview with uh, Dr. Rice and Dr. John Lawrence. Um, the interviewer is Ben Azada, Eds- and I hope you enjoy it. And we'll be back live with you tomorrow. Thanks. Bye.
0: Today's episode is super impactful, and it's, you know what, a perfect timing... Right off the episode we just did with Dr. Bruce Lipton. Dr. Bruce Lipton on the previous episode really outlined how your thoughts could destroy your health, destroy your immune system, or build it back up. Well, Dr. Michael Rice, his work is very much aligned with Dr. Bruce Lipton's work. This is the first time Dr. Michael Rice has been on the show. Well, actually, that's not necessarily true. He was actually, as a bonus part of a previous episode with Dr. John LaRonce, we brought on Dr. Michael Rice who happened to be in that room. The man is super smart. He really understands breath work, how the mind works, how to change your thoughts, how to go from being a victim to a victor. And we get into some great things here and Dr. John LaRonce joins us as well. This is the first time somebody has been on the show for the fourth time and that is Dr. John LaRonce. He's been on several times talking about melatonin, speaking about PRP injections, speaking about biohacks and much more. We'll drop links for previous episodes with Dr. John Laurence down below. But we get into the conversation of the way you are viewing the world through perspective and energy. What perspective, what energy are you using to view that world? We get into the definition of love and how love is flowing through yourself. Dr. Rice explains this process of still point breathing and how that could relieve mental and emotional stress. We get into the importance of forgiveness on your journey and what exactly forgiveness means. A lot of people think forgiveness is letting somebody off the hook, but that's not what forgiveness means, and you'll understand on today's episode. We get into one basic principle around fasting and spiritual practices, how to get the love to flow with every single one of your breaths, why hate is a disease and it halts the healing process how you can live by dying, and much more. We go deep. So sit back, enjoy this one. You're going to really get a lot of value from this conversation. Dr. Michael Rice is the founder and director of Heartland, a self-healing center in the Ozark mountains. He is a world renowned lecturer and teacher on health and healing with doctorates in naturopathic medicine and in holistic philosophy. The focus of his studies combined body-mind principles, physics, and ancient studies into a unique body of pioneering work in the fields of self-healing, healing through relationships, anger and grief resolution, world peace, and inner process of forgiveness. Dr. John Laurence has a gift for difficult cases where other practitioners have failed. With the successful integration of functional neurology, chiropractic, naturopathy, nutrition using the Assyria detoxification programs, Lumomed, and other protocols, his musculoskeletal ultrasound training includes over 100 hours through the Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute, 60 hours through AAOM, 90 hours through AOAPRM, and 60 through TOBI. That's a lot of training. Let's bring them both on the show. Dr. Michael Rice, welcome to the KetoCam podcast. Delighted. Honored to be here. Thank you for the invitation. And Dr. John LaRonce, welcome back for the fourth time to the KetoCam podcast. Yeah, pleasure to be here, Ben. So this is going to be a really deep conversation that I am personally excited about, and I would love for you, John, because you've known Dr. Michael for 30 years. I think you said. I would love for you to share your relationship with him and how you how his work has helped you in your life. Yeah, well, again, thanks for
3: having me on the show for the fourth time. I'm very flattered. We've had some great conversations on uh, Keto Camp and. Uh, It's just a great platform. I've learned so much about ketogenic diet and uh, fasting. You're a wealth of information, so a pleasure to be here and associated with you. Thank you. With with that said, um, so Michael Rice is a very close friend, very dear friend, and I first met him when he was speaking at Unity Church, like you said, you know, it was like 30 years ago, and I was going through a very dark time in my life. I was... Going, you know, I'd just gotten divorced and I was having just lots of anxiety. I was depressed and, and I, I was just struggling trying to find some answers for and some relief for some of the uh, the negative emotions I was having. And so when I showed up at Unity, Michael started talking about having the brain cells to see things and unique perspectives. And I remember he told a story about if it was the first time you were seeing a propeller moving, you might think that that was a a disc versus actually a propeller moving. So, you know, it has to do with the way that you're viewing the world and your perspective. And so I went to an intensive that he had. And at the end of the intensive, he taught us to do something called still point breathing, which I still do today. It's one of the most valuable techniques that I've learned. And this was breath work way before Wim Hof, way before everyone else has kind of jumped on the bandwagon of doing breath work. Michael was way ahead of that. You know, I don't know how many, I'll let him describe it, but um, this was such a monumental upgrade for me to regain some health. And there's something called your autonomic nervous system. And when you do breath work, you're supporting this really important, important part of your nervous system that regulates your heartbeat and your blood pressure and your digestion and your blood vessels and your circulation. And so, this is a really, really important episode. This subject matter is really important, working on mental, emotional, spiritual applications, and some of the breathing exercises that Michael teaches are just really monumental. So with that said, I bring you Dr. Michael Rice. <laughs> well, thank
4: you, John. Delight to have worked with you over the years, and uh, I appreciate what you've taught me in the healing realm as well. So it's uh Powerful gathering that we're here to do. And uh, Ben, what I've been hearing of, of your work, and as things have, I've been listening. I sat in that last interview you did with John. It was a, a nice space for. I've worked with people for, with fasting for decades. Used to guide people through deep detoxes and cleanses, and uh, I've I've built some new brain cells, gotten some new understanding of that whole process as well. So, that was a great conversation to uh, to join in.
0: Thank you. Yeah, and you added to that conversation at the end. So if you didn't listen to that, episode 240, Dr. Michael Rice added about 10 minutes of just brilliance, which she's going to dive deep into now. So, yeah, go back to your story. How long ago did you get involved with this area with your expertise, and why did you get involved with it? Well,
4: you know, the starting point for me was the last six days that I was in utero, my mother had toxemia. On the evening of my birth, they called my father at work and said, if you want to see this kid alive, you better get down here because he's not going to be here in the morning. And they had given her Pitocin for six days to try to force me out of the womb. And the next 25 years, I lived on inhalator and pills. Oxygen can't. and, And I got to the point where I realized that while the drugs they were giving me were keeping me alive, they were killing me. That it wasn't health producing, though it was life preserving. You know, you look at quality of life issues, and uh, and so that set me on a track, set me on a journey. I had to find healing. And my original work, my training before that, had been in electronics with a side study in physics, and I was in the technical world. And when I first came across the uh, the field of naturopathic medicine. What became clear to me, I'm I'm a naturopath, and what became clear to me is that we're dealing here with an energy system. So everything that I learned from Einstein and everything that come, you know, down the pike with all of that physics study and such, started to unfold in the realm of health and healing and wholeness. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes from Einstein is, on such things as matter, we've been all wrong. What we've here through before called matter is energy energy whose vibrations have been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. There is no matter. Matter doesn't exist. We don't live in a material world. That's a trick. Our eye, perceptual constructs in our mind lie to us. You know, John made reference to one of the examples that I use. We bring a guy from the jungles of South America and we stand in front of an airplane propeller, you know, spinning on the airplane. And Does he see forearms spinning around a pivot point? No. What does he see? He sees literally his perceptual system because it can't keep up with the rate of spin of the propeller, shows him a shiny silver disk, something that isn't there. Well, if you could see what's in front of you, if you could actually adjust the rate of vibration, you know, if we could say to this fellow standing in front of the propeller, okay, we're going to adjust your eye now, and you're going to see that this is actually four arms spinning around a perfect point. His whole world would change, and he'd realize that... Every word that he developed based on this being a shiny silver disc was false, it just wasn't accurate, it just wasn't true. And when we start to realize if you could adjust the rate of vibration in which your eye perceives me or yourself in the mirror, you'd see this warning mass of electrons, protons, neutrons and light, you wouldn't see a body. And everything based in a conversation about bodies is a lie, this is not true. Now, we've got a whole perceptual construct made up where we we make sense of it, and it sort of works, but how often do people end up saying, you know, it doesn't matter how hard I try, it doesn't matter what happens, why is this happening to me again? Or sometimes people say, why are they doing this to me again? That, by the way, is the title of my book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? I Feel Blessed the Universe Reserved That for Me. And it's happening to me again, and I don't care whether it's health or relationships or finances or just my, you know, when I look at this person in the mirror, it happens because there are energetic dynamics in me out of which I'm creating my life, and I am unconscious of those dynamics. One of the workshops I do is called On Creating Consciously. We you know, probably one of the greatest atrocities done to us as human beings down through the ages, and that we've bought into is that we've hidden, been hidden, had hidden from ourselves the fact that we are by nature creators. You and I are creative beings, which of course is an idea that everybody loves when the creation's going well. But when the creation's not going so well, don't we know who the name of the perpetrator is? And isn't their name always them? If only they'd be different, my life would change and the outcome would be different. One of my favorite tongue-in-cheek lines to deliver in my workshops is, you'll notice if you went through a particular painful reality 87 different times with 42 different people, you're the only one who was there every time. It's about you. And when you realize this is an energy system through which you create, then you start to realize that you create according to the content of this energy system. And this energy system that we call, or at least one aspect of it, that we call a body-mind unit, is literally a multi-generational database that holds everything that's gone on in our whole bloodline. And there are energies that support our life force and there are energies that will destroy us. And if you go back and, and, you know, the the next piece in my personal journey was to encounter the first century Aramaic teachings of the New Testament. And I want to be clear that we're not going to go in the direction of a religious conversation because in the New Testament, in Aramaic, the original language, it's not about a religious conversation. It's about physics. It's about physiology. It's about psychology. It's about genetics. Hmm. When they said the sins of the vows will be passed in to three and four generations, they weren't talking about how you're going to get punished for what has happened. They're telling you how your physiology works. And then if you look at that word sin, sin in Aramaic is not what the Greeks have taught us. is some terrible, awful thing that you've done and you're going to be punished for it. The word sin is an archery term. If you went out on the, on the archery range and you fired at the bullseye and you missed the bullseye, the scorekeeper would yell sin. It just means off the mark. And when I engage in energy that's off the mark, then I start the deterioration of this energy system. Wherever the deteriorating, wherever the the off-the-mark energy is, the disintegrative energy is, I start to create disintegration in tissue. Now, there are lots of things I can do on a symptomatic level to try to fix that. Mm -hmm. And I can manipulate it, and I can move it forward, but in the last analysis, you notice pretty much everybody ends up, and the bottom line is, why is this happening to me again? Mm -hmm. What's going on here? And it's not until I recognize the energetic patterns out of which I'm creating my life, and that if they are patterns that are not based in human life, then I'm in trouble. My health is in trouble, my relationships are in trouble, my finances are in trouble. It it, it, hits every area of our lives. And so, of course, then it comes to the question of, well, then, Michael, if, if that's true, what's the energy that this system's designed for? Mm-hmm. And my offering is that there aren't enough words in any language on the planet to describe that. But there is a way to have a direct experience of that, and that is hold a newborn baby. Have you ever held a newborn, Ben? Yeah. If you went back to the moment where you held that newborn and you tapped into the essence of that newborn, what word would you use to describe that newborn? Single word, the essence of the newborn, not what was going on for you, love. Yeah. So that's a question that my wife and I, Jeannie, have asked of tens and tens of thousands of people all over the globe. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is because that's the stuff we're made of. Now, the next question I usually ask people when I ask that newborn experience is, tap in once again to the essence of the newborn and ask yourself the question, is the newborn loving you or is the newborn love? Hmm. It's pretty clear. So, right. my offering is that that's, that's the best way i found to establish what we are designed for and the fuel that's designed to motivate to move through the human cell. In fact, I was doing a a still point session. John was talking about still point earlier. I was doing a, a still point session just a, a few weeks ago and was given a whole new insight and for me a whole new definition a definition of love. And that is that love or pardon me of life, that life is love flowing through a cell mm, and anything beautiful. we do to restrict that physically, mentally, emotionally is going to create disease processes.
2: Mm.
4: In the ancient Aramaic where there was a de- disease process going on there was a solution to that disease process and the solution and and again you can't bring Greek brain cells into this because if you bring the Greek into it everything gets flipped exactly backward. In the Aramaic the solution was forgiveness. Now you'll notice the Greeks have taught us that forgiveness is this thing that is really nice for me to do because of course it's all your fault. You're the reason I'm in pain and trauma again, but I'll let you off the hook for my pain and trauma. Then everything's going to get better in my life. And that's just a total fraud. I mean, when you really think about it. So I've got an energy moving through me that's painful. I've been through this energy 87 different times with 42 different people. I've had this pain. But today while it's moving through me I'm going to blame you the new person that I just met last week. And then I'm going to accept the resolution of I'm going to let you off the hook for that pain that's moving in me again, and I'm so, going to expect things to get better. Go ahead, John. So, Michael, if I could,
3: if I could kind of like bring this back a little bit. So there's, there's all this language going on in the subconscious or the emotions that are coming up. So there, we think thoughts, and then there's an emotional reaction to those thoughts, right? I think there's a Shakespeare um, quote. Emotional that result. About. Our words fly out, our thoughts. you um, below. <laughs> yeah. Unconscious. So, you know, what I think is really just, it blows my mind to think about it. So I know that you started out as a deacon in the Catholic Church, right? Is that right, mm-hmm. Michael? Yep. And then you had an assignment where you were working on the original Aramaic Bible. So literally the wow. original scripture that Yeshua was Jesus' original name, it was the original Bible. And I think they, didn't they try to like, eradicate all of them or destroy them at one point there was one left or something? Well, there was actually
4: a, um, a man named Rabala. His name is the root of the word rabble rouser today. And he was a bishop in the church and it wasn't actually the Roman church. That, that my work there was in the Eastern Orthodox church, but where they're working with the original Aramaic language as the language of their scriptures. But uh, Rabula was a bishop who attempted to eradicate. He literally tried to track down all of the Aramaic writings and destroy them and replace them with his interpretation. Yeah, it's crazy.
3: You know, I mean, we can only postulate why they wanted to do that because when you start looking at the, the, the original writings of Jesus compared to what's in the Bible now, there's a lot of languaging that almost sounds like they're trying to put a lot of fear and almost there's some controlling aspects and some political aspects of it. Whereas the original, like just even that example that you used about sin, I mean, for those watching this, just think about that. Like we're talking about an archery term, you missed, try another shot. I mean, it's like inviting people like, hey, you're it's all good. You know, you're good, you, You're you're trying, but just a little bit to the left, right? Versus no. You're going to go to hell and burn for the rest of existence, right? I mean, there's a huge difference between those two. And uh, there's so many different examples of some of the um, original context that that Yeshua brought. I'd love to hear some more of that from you.
4: Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think is really important here to, to recognize is that another lie that we've been taught is that we have a pair of windows called eyes, and we look out through our eyes and we see what's out there. Now, from a physiological point of view, from a physicist's point of view, that's ridiculous. The eye is a one-way valve. Yes, it receives information in the form of light. That light entering into the eye causes brain cells to fire, causes energy to move through resonance, and whatever is stored in the mind will show up as the picture that we think we see out there. But the picture we think we see out there is nothing but a construct in our own minds.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And there's some interesting uh research that comes out of Harvard. Actually, it's it's the most quoted research in psychology f- for decades. And it's work that was done where they showed that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells were fine. I mean, they got people hooked up to the electrodes. They can measure Ten thousand bits of electrical activity going on, and the max amount of information that goes into conscious awareness is nine bits of data. And you can see this little tiny piece of this mass of information moving, and in that same time frame it's been estimated that there are approximately twenty trillion bits of data going on in the actuality oh. so. When you realize that everything you see and you have ever seen is a construct of your mind, whoever is in charge of what structures your mind, which is, for humans, primarily language, constructs the world you see and the world you live in, the world you inhabit.
0: Hey, I want to let you know about an amazing company who offers really impressive foods from nature. I'm referring to wildfoods.co. If you're looking for a one-stop shop for your keto supplements, keto coffee, keto nuts and seeds, and amazing collagen protein powders, you're going to want to check out wildfoods.co. Wild foods specializes in real foods from small producers around the world. They're passionate about their ingredients, and they have a powerful story. All their products do not contain artificial sweeteners, no gluten, no soy, no refined sugars, no preservatives, and no fillers. They adhere to ridiculously high standards like myself, which is why I endorse them. So if you're looking for some keto protein powders, golden milk lattes for some restful nights of sleep, multivitamins for men and women, cacao powders, elderberry capsules for the immune system, wild Himalayan pink salt for your electrolyte balance, and much more, I want you to check out my friends over at wildfoods.co. As a listener of the Keto Camp Podcast, you will receive... off your order by using the coupon code KETOCAMP at checkout. No space in between. KETOCAMP, CAMP Camp with a K at checkout. Get 20% off your order. Head to wildfoods.co, use KETOCAMP at checkout, and enjoy their awesome products. Until you bring back into
4: alignment the language, everything's crazy.
2: Uh
4: Vladimir Lennon is probably responsible for more deaths on planet earth than any human being that's ever existed. Guess what he said in his writings? If you can change the meaning of a culture's words, you can destroy the culture. Mm
0: -hmm. We see that happening this day.
4: Culture is transferred from human to human by words. And when you change the meaning of the words, all of a sudden, Person A has a certain set of words for something. Person B has the same words, but different brain cells, and their mind generates a whole different picture. Well, Neither one like of the them reflecting sin. the actual world. It's just like it's the just word sin. It's, sin. It's, like sin. We own it's
3: such right. a different perspective just on that one word alone, you know, and, and it's a cultural thing, right? So all these different words have different meanings, and then we filter these these words and these meanings and collections of meanings and we construct our reality i mean i had this conversation with a patient that came in just yesterday and she was depressed and had anxiety and so i was just talking to her about there's different ways that you can look and it was COVID that was primarily just causing so much stress for her and i was telling her my experience of COVID has been much different and it's just because i'm looking at life differently and you know what one question i wanted to ask and of course i've got my own idea of what you how you would answer this but when i was suffering so much when i came to you you know 25 30 years ago and you had me do that still point i felt better for a long time after after doing that session obviously i, I continue to do some work but what was really happening there that gave me so much relief of my mental emotional stress well
4: my offering would be that Well, there are many levels I can answer that question on, but let's take it on the primary. You'll notice when people are in disturbance or upset, the first thing they do is shut down their breath. When you shut down your breath, you literally lock down the mind energy that's trying to surface that you don't want to look at and you don't want to deal with. And so you watch people when they're in emotional trauma and emotional upset, and they subventilate. And what happens is they create an artificial barrier. You know, if you talk to psychologists today, they'll tell you that 90 to 95% of your mental processes are unconscious. My offering is that the unconscious is a totally and completely unnatural condition for a human being. We're not designed to have an unconscious. Mm -hmm. We're designed to have a conscious awareness and then subconscious, which is all the data that we can access anytime we want. But when we create this artificial barrier, and and if you go back into the ancient teachings they talked about it as a veil. They said the veil of the temple must be rent in twain and then they were often told it was about a purple curtain in the church. No, this is the temple. The veil is the barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious and when there's something we don't want to deal with, we lock the breath down and we lock those untoward energies into our unconscious someplace we don't have access to but they're still there and life is going to come along and resonate those things and move them and create the drama and the trauma and the pain that we experience and if we keep holding our breath we keep those energies locked in and we keep functioning out of that drama and trauma again what do they say the veil has to be open the barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious has to be open how do you open it you open it with the breath Mm-hmm. The proper operation of the breath opens the unconscious and puts you into process. And process, in my work, I define as the ability to hold love, your essential nature, conscious, active, and present when something less than love comes up. Mm-hmm. And so you'll remember in that still point process, we opened, we moved into, we did exercises that moved into a space of bringing love into an active, present state. And then when people breathe, started to open that veil, whatever starts to surface, you go into high-speed fast-forward process, especially when you hit the still point. And the still point is a place where the breath, as opposed to being held, spontaneously stops. That's when the veil is wide open. Mm -hmm. And you can process, you know, whatever your vitality has the strength to process, you can move out of your structure and be done with it. It doesn't mean you're finished with that issue because there's an automatic shutdown mechanism in the structure that you can only open what you've got the vitality to handle. I use the example of, you know, let's imagine we create a vitality meter, it goes from one to ten, and this has to do with a lot of different health tools. What they do is they don't heal anybody, but they create extra vitality and when one gets to a new level of vitality they can process the dis-ease energies they've been holding on to. So let's imagine we've got a vitality meter goes from one to ten and here I am at a level five vitality and I have a level seven toxin. So I have a level five vitality and I have a level seven toxin. I can want to process that level 7, level 6 stuff until the cows come home, but there's a built-in suppress mechanism that if my vitality is only at a 5, this isn't going to open. Mm -mm. It's going to remain shut down because if it did, it could literally physiologically kill me as I do my work. And, and what happens with the still point is you connect to new levels of vitality. I can build that five, that six, that seven, and I get up to a level 7.5. And this is something that creates a lot of confusion for people who engage in different tools without really understanding the healing process. If I've got this level seven toxin and I all of a sudden am at a level 7.5 vitality, all hell breaks loose in me. Mm -hmm. All that I've been trying to hide from myself, maybe my whole life, maybe for generations, starts to move and up comes confusion and fear and rage and guilt and all that stuff and people, well, I'm going to quit and, you know, well, let me go just get something to shut me back down again. But when I hit those new levels of vitality, it's the opportunity to move to the next level of accessing those disintegrative energies, literally in Aramaic, my sin processing through them and removing them. So there's no longer a load on the cell. Then I need to do all these machinations to take care of it. The cells restored to its connectedness to love and it functions as it's designed to with the proper power supply. It organizes its own chemistry to be perfectly balanced and functional as it was designed to be. But when we disconnect from that, when love is not present, I mean just take a look at the political situation today, how many people in our world even can fathom what love is or have the direct experience of its presence? And if I'm connected to a power supply that is off the mark, then my energy system is in a state of winding down, we call that diseases and they'll be degenerative, 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 degenerative until death occurs. If we start to and one of the key tools is breathe do what it takes, like fasting, like nutritional support, you know all the medical procedures that you do in in your office, you know watching you do that uh, stem cell process was really powerful to just sit there and watch the skill and the ability with which you did that. John was really pretty awesome for me but yeah. when we when we then have those things and we're doing the work of unloading the cell from what didn't belong reconnecting to a proper power supply. And if you remember in that still point process, there were moments where you were just totally and completely connected to the active presence of love. Mm -hmm. When that happens, healing occurs. Yeah. Filter. Go ahead. Well, I I was going to
3: kind of chime in because I know what probably a lot of people listening to this, because it's such deep information that it's, it's hard to really wrap your head around the totality behind it. And your body of (laughs) is going to, yeah, it would take us a long time to really give people the the full experience. Certainly we're going to give people an opportunity to be able to find out where to find you and more about you. But I think one of the things that I I really want the the, the listeners to understand is that there's there's an aspect of forgiveness that you figured out and it's completely different than, Basically, this is another, you know, message that Yeshua, Jesus brought to us was that there's a forgiveness process, which it's not letting someone else off the hook, but it's more of like, for instance, I have my sister yells at me and I get angry. And one of the things that's really helped me out a lot is to know that anger is not a true emotion and that it's a drug. And so I use that drug so I don't actually have to feel what's really underneath, which is something in my subconscious that's usually either fear or it's sadness. And so with regards to the work that you teach, what I think is so amazing about your work is you actually have a process of basically uncovering that and then placing that in the context of pure love and it dissolves. And so this is a way that people can literally go through and address these subconscious emotions that are, basically causing all of these negative emotions, really. You know, yeah,
4: and the process, you know, again, one of the things we work to do, I have a video called Aramaicisms. It's a four-hour video where an Aramaic scholar and myself discuss, and, and Aramaicisms is a, a term I coined to represent our effort to restore the original meaning of the first century Aramaic words. Mm-hmm. And, so we go that. and so one of them we just covered was love. You know, we've been talking about sexual athletics or you know, sacrifice yourself, lay, you know, lay down your life for yourself. No, it's the essence of who we are. Then probably the next most important word that's been degraded is the word forgiveness. It's got nothing to do with me letting you off the hook because there's disintegrative energy, because in the sense, there's sin in me, there's something that doesn't belong, that's loading myself up and creating all kinds of disease processes, which I can go and do all kinds of medical things about it, which can help and support and prolong the life of the cell. But if I don't deal with the original offending energy that's in the cell, real health is not going to be available to me. And it just takes time to build the brain cells for that. In fact, go back 2000 years ago and the Greeks kind of translated this one fairly well. You hear Yeshua saying, you've got to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Those who seeing do not see, those who hearing do not hear. What is he saying? He's saying there if you don't have the brain cells for the truth of what's happening in your life, you're going to create a perceptual structure and you think you see what's going on, but the truth is you're not seeing anything at all except a projection from the disintegrated content of your own mind and so you've got to have the eyes to see and ears to hear you've got to build the brain cells for the truth of what's going on and you know that's been the thrust of the last 50 years of my work and you know five days a week i do a radio show from one till two o'clock eastern time where we're there to help people to build the brain cells we've actually got 10 years of archives i don't know how many thousands of hours are in archives people can go back and access and build the brain cells we've got an app for doing first-century Aramaic forgiveness on your phone. You know, we've, we've spent the last half-century developing tools to support people in developing the brain cells to really comprehend what's going on, and then the how-to, you know, my original work was in electronics and, you know, in that field, if you were designing a piece of electronic equipment or repairing a piece of electronic equipment, it didn't matter what your philosophy was, when it came off the other end of the bench, it had to work. <laughs> and so that's sort of been my thing is each time I've touched into something that can support people in their healing process, we get it down to, here's the tool, here's how you can use it. So we have a what we call reality, man, reality management of forgiveness uh, worksheet. We have codependence. We have relationship materials. We've got a whole cadre of materials for supporting people, building the brain cells, for acquiring a set of tools and using them to literally change the constructs of their minds. You know, you think about six people go into a courtroom and testify about an accident and you're sitting there and you wonder if any two of them were at the same accident because their descriptors are so different why because no two of them were at the same accident oh yes externally they each experienced the same actuality but each one saw in their nine-bit mind if they had a mind that could hold nine bits the actual laboratory stats on that one were five or pardon me seven plus or minus two but Each person, all they have to do is be looking at a different nine bits of information in their minds and they have a different reality about what happened. When we start making room for people to have different realities and having to insist their reality's got to be the same as ours, because the truth is we're all sitting around looking through these nine bit minds at something that is so huge and so magnificent that everything that's of value in that nine bit mind, we would gladly throw away for a taste of that actuality. And then what the tools this man, Yeshua developed, and that's where the core of my work comes from, the first century Aramaic teachings of the man, the tools were designed to take people to that experience, so they live there 24-7-365, literally back to our original nature as love, functioning out of love, and whenever something less than that comes up, move it out. One of the first indicators that something less than love is moving is people who hold the breath. Now, let's take another layer of looking at the breath and why that's so powerful. If you go back into the Aramaic language in the creation story, they tell us God sent out his breath. Not what it says in Aramaic, or pardon me, the Greeks tell us God sent out his spirit. In Aramaic, what it is, is that God sent out his breath. It's our direct connection to the creation. And when we cut ourselves off from it, it's like we're out here on our own suffering. My I mean, you it's we it's open it's a whole different energy flow through the structure and through the system, and then that opens a space where I realize now I've got work to do because I'm designed to be this device that this active presence of love flows through and expresses this life, and I've shut it down to a dripping tap filled with hostility or fear, wishing I could have life and health and abundance. There's a couple questions that I've got. One is, um, do you
3: think that there's something related to the release of DMT with the still point breathing? And the second question, this is the million dollar question, is, was Jesus keto? Um, <laughs> he fasted. So, now, yeah. I know he broke bread. He it, but, um, yeah. I, I, I know that ketosis is such a valuable, and fasting is such a valuable asset to a lot of spiritual practices and a lot of meditation practices and actually getting that feeling of love. So
4: I'd love to hear your take on that too. Well, John, I don't know if you've ever touched into it as a naturopath, but one of the basic principles I was taught in naturopathy around fasting was that the part of the mind where the ego is seated, where the false self, The self that's based in errant power person, what I call power person messages, the place where that's seated in the brain is fed directly from the stomach. And when you fast, it gets no nutrition, no nutrition, it starts to collapse. And that's where that wider state of being can open and come into expression. Mm. And, and by the way, it, you know, as far as building the brain cells, we started on that topic and, and support, you know, five days a week, people are welcome to call into my radio show, one till two o'clock Eastern time. And it's, a, it's an internet show. Most people, of course, because we've got you know unlimited long distance these days on our phone, just call in. And the calling number is 563-999-3581. And we're there an hour a day, five days a week to answer questions
0: awesome. We'll put that in the notes. We'll have Rachel put that in the notes down below. Uh, you know, I, I would like to dive into real quick uh, some practical things that the audience can do because I love how you shared that life is love going through yourselves, and anything less than that is going to end up in dis-ease, right? And what I'm hearing is that it really starts with noticing and being aware of your breathing and the minute or the second that you notice you're holding your breath or you're breathing through your mouth or you're just not letting it flow that's something we want to correct. So what are some ways to have awareness that's a quick awareness to that? And what can we do to get the love back to flowing with our breath? Well, all you have to do is
4: breathe fully in order to to start to open the gateway for that flood of love to come back into literally be incarnated. And I mean, every tool that I teach, I mean, if I were in intensive right now, I've actually got a board behind me that's one of my intensive boards. And if I were in intensive, I'd turn around with the marker now and I'd write on the board and everybody in the class would be laughing because I do this over and over and over again. When somebody says, well, how do we do this? It's all of the above. It literally, if you went back to my first radio show 10 years ago and you listened to every minute, five days a week for 10 years, I wouldn't talk about anything else except that question. Here's the how-to. And it's it comes in every arena, every perspective from, you know, like when we do an intensive, we do total fresh and raw dietary regimen. We serve nothing cooked, everything's fresh and raw, and that vitalizes, that strengthens, that builds vitality. And then, you know, I mean, there's just 50 years of research and development on here are the tools, here's the how-to.
0: So you say breathe fully, you just got to breathe fully, but some people don't even know what that means. Could you just explain a little bit more? What does that mean to breathe fully? You know, the, the still point process
4: itself is one that when you engage in it, you maybe confirm this, John, when you open up and you start moving things, it can be pretty intense, deeply profound. And so, It's something that I only ever teach in person. I don't write about it. I don't give instructions, here, go home and do this. Because here's what, not that you can do any damage with your breath. I mean, you're meant to breathe fully. But if you've lived the life of... Dissociation, you know, of shutting the breath down to dissociate from content in your own mind, and then you open the floodgates, everything that's in there can start to move. You go into what in naturopathic medicine is called a healing crisis, and the healing crisis is a state where, when we hit a new level of vitality, you get to start to process what needs to be processed, and so symptomatically when you start thinking of this body mind this whole device as an energy system then if there are things that are of a disintegrative nature that have been locked into and hidden in the system and you start opening them back up to move their release
0: looks exactly like the disease process looks can you give an example uh, an example of that maybe with like a former client or somebody who's been through the process yeah i can if you look at this energy system as reflecting
4: whatever energies are present in it and you engage in a disease energy. Let's say the disease energy is hatred. When hatred comes into the field, our cellular structure, literally mind energy, go back to the Aramaic here. The opening words in the book of John were told say, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. Not what it says at all. What it says is, in the beginning was the mind energy and the mind energy became flesh. When I think of thought, now, what are they proving in the cell biologist laboratory today? When I think of thought, that thought becomes a neuropeptide. That neuropeptide shows up in my structure, circulates around my structure until it finds a cell with a receptor site that matches. It lands on the cell. Now, what the biologists are telling us is that the cell then replicates the neuropeptide. I don't think that's what happens at all. What actually happens if we were looking, you know, this is the outside of the cell, the neuropeptide lands on this, the receptor site. If we were looking inside, we'd see that, i will get my hands in, in, the, in line here, as it comes in, what happens is that neuropeptide's inserting itself in the cell. And when we look at it, we call what we see in the cell chemistry. And so when you realize that this is a process, if, if this is hatred, the disease process of that neuropeptide hitting the cell, the cell screams, ouch, hurt, pain, trauma, stop this. But of course, a fifth of scotch and we can keep doing all the hatred we want and we won't feel a thing. Mm-hmm. When I decide that I want to heal, if I've done a lifetime of hatred, if I have a dad, a mother that was hateful, if I have grandparents, if I have generations of hate going on, then my healing process is going to look like having to feel, experience, and deal with a lot of hate. It's going to be a reversal of the energy flow. So an energy going into the structure creates a certain state, and as it starts to come back out, The state is exactly the same. You can't tell the difference between a disease process and a healing process by the symptoms because they're identical. So on a physical level, healing looks like any kind of physical symptom you've ever had and low energy. On a mental level, healing looks like any kind of negative thought and confusion. On an emotional level, healing looks like any kind of negative feeling and depression. If I'm ready and I start breathing and I'm ready to go into a healing process, I might touch into this old depression, this old pain and trauma, hatred, vengeance, as it starts to move out. And if I don't have a support person there and I don't have the brain cells for dealing with it, I'm probably going to get myself into more difficulty. That's why I don't teach it other than in person. But the symptoms are identical, all the symptoms say is there's energy in the field. Is the energy going in? It's a disease process. Is the energy coming out? Am I breathing fully? Am I letting this life flow through me? Then it's going to throw off everything that doesn't belong. So, when I become symptomatic, there are four things that will tell me that I'm in a healing process rather than a disease process. Four questions that I ask myself. The first one is, have I been doing more and more of the right things? I.e., have I been fasting to build vitality? Have I been doing my work? Have I been eating nutrition that is really, truly nutrition? Or am I eating bankrupt, nutritionally bankrupt food? If the energy components aren't there, then the structure can't process out what it needs to process out. So the first thing is, am I doing more and more of the right things, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally? Am I spending time cultivating the presence of active love in me? If I'm doing that, it's highly vitalizing. So that's the first question I ask myself. And my answer is yes. And then the second question I go to is just before I hit these horrible symptoms that I don't wanna feel and deal with, had I hit a new level of vitality? Did I go to bed at night so excited about, oh man, I got that breakthrough, wife is, I got it by the tail, man, I'm on top of the world. And then I get up in the morning and I wonder if anybody got the number of the Mac truck went through my room during the night because I'm lower than a snake's belly. What happened? I thought I was on top of the world last night. Yeah, you were. And now you've hit that new level of vitality. Guess what? All that old crap you've been dissociating from is going to st- start to move through and you're going to have to process through the symptoms of healing. So that's the second question I ask myself. Had I been doing the right thing? Third question is what's happening with my elimination? In a disease process, there's a tendency for there to be a restriction of elimination. In a healing process, there's a tendency for there to be an increase in elimination. And we're talking about the skin, the urinary tract, the bowel, the mucous membranes, the lungs. We're going to start to process that energy out and through all of those systems. And then the fourth thing, and this is especially important for people who've ever done any kind of addictive substances, and that is that literally when we're in the dissociated state and we've got our favorite drug and it doesn't matter whether a drug is junk food or alcohol or whatever the at least the energetic signature if not the actual molecules of the substance i used to shut my vitality out so i didn't have to deal with this are still present in physiology when i become vile enough to throw that off those molecules or those energetic signatures are going to start to move. And the tendency can be, if I don't know that that's what's happening, that that drug grabs me by the face and I get sucked right back into the addiction. Mm -hmm. So the alcoholic, you know, we've all heard about the alcoholic that, you know, got his 30-year chip, he's been sober, and the next day fell off the wagon. What happened? Hey, a whole lot of people were there for him. He had a whole new level of excitement. The life is 30 years over, man, and his vitality became so high, and up came his old addiction, the energetic patterns of it that needed to be released, and he fell right back into the addiction. So, so they're the four things that tell you that your symptoms are healing in process.
0: That's fascinating. See,
4: that's what it would look like.
0: If you're anything like me, you probably spend some money each month on your supplements. But what if you're still tired and you just don't feel 100% well? Well, there could be a deficiency. What if there was a way to know if you were actually absorbing your supplementation or not absorbing and maybe you're taking too much of something? Well, what I'm bringing you today is a chance to accurately test all of that. In this case, I'm talking about upgraded formulas, upgraded hair test kit, and consultation. And once you uncover these hidden deficiencies, you could get rid of these symptoms you might be experiencing that might be affecting your thyroid, adrenals or much more. Upgraded Formulas is a very cool company. I interviewed Barton Scott who is the founder and chemical engineer who helps craft all their supplements and they have this really cool upgraded mineral deficiency analysis. So say goodbye to blood and urine tests which typically indicate short term results. Hair is the best identifier and you could get that hair from your head. Armpit area or even pubic area and you'll receive a consultation with a member of Upgraded Formulas to help discuss your results. And it's very simple. Collect your hair sample, send it in and get your results fast. We've worked out an exclusive deal. KetoCamp podcast listeners to receive 10% off your order. Head to upgradedformulas.com. Use the coupon code BEN10 at checkout to get your hair mineral kit and any other supplements that you could find on their website. That is UpgradedFormulas.com. Use the coupon code BEN10. The audience right now, I'm sure they're just, I'm, I'm really absorbing this information, and it's a lot. It's really deep, so it's probably going to be an episode that you want to listen to a couple times, and then go to your radio show, which you gave the phone number. Besides the, the radio show, where else can they go to learn more about your work? Because you, you had mentioned offline, you had you're doing online intensive. So share a little bit more about that. Do you have a website they could go check out as well?
4: Yeah, and I'll, I'll send you a link when we finish the show. I'll send you a link. There was a woman who recently in our codependence interdependence intensive did a piece of work that was generational she was dealing actually with some heart issues. She'd just been in the hospital, you know, she's in her late 60s, had been in the hospital, heart issues. And so, in the intensive, she was given the assignment to deal with and to invite her ancestors to give her information about what was going on with her heart. And she went back to a conversation with a long-dead, it was either grandfather or great-grandfather, who shared when they came from, I forget whether it was Lithuania, but somewhere in, in Europe where they were basically starving and they thought they were coming to the streets paved with gold and that he explained that they actually dug a, a hole in the ground, a cave in the ground to live in and the survival and his rage, his abuse of his children and his spouse because he was so threatened that, you know, how are we going to eat? Will there be food tomorrow? And And her process with that and just... I mean, it's a, just a sweet, powerful conversation that she recounts that she actually had with her dead grandfather or great-grandfather, whichever it was. So I'll send you a link to that if you want to put it yeah, in the notes. and absolutely. People can get a taste of the end result. And, you know, when you realize, you know, they talk about the ego, E-G-O, edging, if, if, if the scriptures are correct in their de- definition of God, we've got love. It's not some dude. But... Love, edging love out, ego, edging gone out, mm-hmm. and this this non-being self, literally, you know, we come in the child, hold the newborn. Now, I mean, that child's enthusiastic about everything it touches, and will come back to its abuser over and over and over again until what happens? The messages, the mind energy that comes from that power person, of thought disorders. They coagulate into a self, literally an image of a body that we, as created love, fall into identification with and think we are. You know, go back to Yeshua again. He says, in order for you to live, you've got to die. Well, that doesn't make any sense. How do you? Live by dying. But when you realize there's you, the true being, the love, the being that you are, that's designed to incarnate and live in this body, and then there's this false image of self that we fall into identification with, that's the self that has to die. It has to be taken apart. But like I made the reference to of the, the guy standing on the tarmac looking at the airplane propeller and seeing a shiny silver disc, you know, he's got generations and generations and generations of conversations and interaction with all of his friends around shiny silver discs and not a word's true because it's a propeller. Mm-hmm. We've got generations and generations of conversations about bodies and how hate and fear and rage and all that, and it's all a lie. None of it's true about the truth of who we are. And, And when we wake up to the truth of who we are, then the work of dissolving who we are not begins. And when people have a taste of that pure presence of love, I mean, it is so awesome And they go back to their lives and, you know, as you spoke, John, that stayed with you for quite a while. But Mm -hmm. sooner or later, what I call carbon-based memory or the non-being self tries to come back online. And it works to displace our experience of ourselves as the presence of love. And so when carbon-based memory, once you've had that taste so profoundly, so powerfully, and you want it, and carbon-based memory starts to kick back in, you've got to change that thing and bring it back into harmony with the truth of who you are. And that's the work.